Yeah, revenue subledgers. I feel like that's like, <laughs> it's like an accounting like 101 term or something, right? Like, <laughs> do we actually use that in the day-to-day? I've had people say to me like, hey, what, what do you mean by a revenue subledger? Like, great point. <laughs> like, what What do you mean? Like, it's a subledger for revenue. <laughs> oh, well, whatever. I'm already using Excel. I might as well just use a system yeah. I already have in Excel, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, like, let's just slow our roll here, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it, right? Like, we have a ton of pressure to get stuff done. And so it is really easy to be like, that's just not going to work for me. I need to move on. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers? Oh, it's so much more than that. Modernization. By streamlining the process. So let's get right down to business. And modern problems require modern solutions. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. Consider it done. This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with Jill Houck, Revenue Operations Consultant at Jill E. Houck Consulting. Now here's your host, M. Daigle passionate revenue accountant, RevRec automation expert, and general manager of Zora Revenue. Hey, Jill. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, good to see you. Likewise. I always enjoy getting to talk with you. I know some of our audience will get to hear some of it as well, but we always love to geek out over some great revenue accounting speak and technology and all that kind of great discussion. But before we jump in, want to just, you know, kind of break the ice a little bit for our listeners. We're going to start the episode with our off the ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. Curious, how do you explain revenue accounting to people? Like, for example, if a family member asks you, what do you do? How do you explain it to them? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I feel like every time I explain this to my family, they like gloss over. <laughs> They'll probably don't do a great job of it. But I would say that revenue accounting is essentially managing all the money inflowing from customer sales. Ooh, I, think I like that. That's the simplest way mm-hmm. and most relatable to people that don't live either in accounting or in technology or any of the things that I live day to day in. (laughs) I think that's really important. And, you know, it's funny, I always get something about tax or I get something about auditing. And I'm like, well, you know, yes, I have to pay taxes. And yes, I work for a company that needs to be audited, but neither one of those are part of my day-to-day job. So it's always an interesting one to try and explain to people outside of finance what it is we actually do. Absolutely. I know. It's like such a wide variety. I feel like there needs to be, I don't know, like a movie about all of the different type of accounting roles that that are out there and like what it means. So true. And maybe different from The Accountant, which I believe stars Ben Affleck. It's very different from that. Nobody actually does that. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Next question. One I ask every one of my guests how do you refer to the holistic revenue process? Is it order to cash, order to revenue, lead to reporting? I've kind of heard a bunch of different takes on it, but what's yours? I tend to say lead to cash. My main goal of saying lead to cash is capturing everything from the initial marketing approach, like go to market strategy and stuff like that, all the way through cash collection and 
reporting in between there, right? Reporting sometimes becomes the end gap for some people, but if you really think about it, reporting occurs throughout the process. So I don't know that that's necessarily like an end point to a process. It's just part of a process. So for me, cash is kind of the end of the process because that also can include renewals, new sales, upsells, like everything basically. That's a great point. You know, it's not a linear process that has a very clear start and end. It's really much more cyclical. And so I think like if I were to put it onto a a slide, for example, at one point in time, it may have gone left to right and been very distinct, but now it's much more circular in nature. I can see like I'm like visualizing something from my marketing department, you know, and seeing a circle with some arrows going on and on, depending on what that situation is. Like you said, upsells, renewals, all of the different things that go on. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, it almost makes me when you talk about visualization, you know, we we have a similar mind. My mind went to <laughs> gears, right, where there are actually like multiple gears where it's like this one's turning and then that one's turning after this one turns. And so it's just like everything's, you know, integrated. <laughs> That's even better. I like yours. (laughs) All right. So moving into your work. So I know you consult with various companies on revenue recognition, revenue automation, but could you tell us a little bit more maybe around some of the companies that you work with, size, industry, that sort of thing? Sure. So I primarily work with technology companies, either in the SaaS space or healthcare technology. And that's anything on this order to cash process. So (laughs) my projects include things like Salesforce implementations, customizations. They include things like building out spreadsheets (laughs) to (laughs) deal with different revenue streams, optimizing billing processes to like integrate different revenue streams or structures into kind of a more streamlined process. So yeah, a lot of different areas I work on, but it's primarily in that smaller technology space. Company sizes vary, but I don't tend to work with anybody greater than like a thousand employees. It's usually a little bit smaller companies that are still trying to scale and optimize things. Which is always a really fun space to be in. And, you know, you just from what you just described, you see a little bit of everything, which is why you are so good at that visualization of the gears. I love that. Now, I'm curious, how or why did you get into this consulting business on your own in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been getting that a lot because I think more (laughs) people are exploring, like, what can I do outside of pure accounting, Mm -hmm. pure revenue accounting in, in my example? I spun off on my own because I found myself doing a lot of the same building again and again and would get it to get processes to a place where they were very repeatable. And I just felt like I sort of got siloed or kind of got like stuck in one place and I wanted to be more consultative based, right? Like I wanted to be a business partner. I wanted to work outside of just the pure revenue accounting. And so I felt it was easier to do that by going out and freelancing because as a lot of these companies grew, again, people got hired in different positions and took over a lot of those different areas that I had previously been involved in, which is totally fair and reasonable, but you know, my sweet spot kind of is in that earlier stage. And so I just wanted to help companies 
after doing it over and over again. It's really interesting. And I know you and I've spoken before, but I have a similar past as well and did my own consulting business for about eight years in there and focused on the revenue automation piece of it. And I really like the way you just put it about things that people think about how they can approach different parts of their career and different things that they can do with the accounting background. And one of the things I love too was being able to you know, obviously fix something that is quote unquote broken. But on top of that, and kind of what you're alluding to as well is being able to do it in different types of businesses, being able to help them grow, being able to help them optimize and be more efficient in what they're doing, but being able to get them to a place where they are in a good spot and then go and do it all over again somewhere else without having to onboard, find a new job or do all of those things. Instead, it was just an ongoing feed of different companies being able to help them do those different things at different scale, which is really, really interesting and then gives you sort of an expanded viewpoint when you move into the next client that you have, because now you're getting this wide range of experience working within different companies, different size companies and and different industries, which is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the more rewarding things that you just sort of alluded to was part of the projects that I work on is also getting the right people in the right seats, right? There's Mm -hmm. people that love revenue accounting and that's what they want to do right? They want to go from a revenue accountant to a senior revenue accountant and move up the chain to revenue director, you know, whatever it may be. And that is awesome. And we need to find those people and put them in the roles that fit with that, right? And that's not me. So (laughs) what I would like to do is come in and help them find those people and then train them and get them on board with this process and give them something that can scale and then allows them to grow in their career as well. Let's jump to the general ledger. So now let's move on to things that you're seeing in the market. So what is top of mind for your clients right now? Like what are some of the things that they're struggling with and that they're looking to you to help them consult with? This is probably a very common answer, common theme, but (laughs) technology, right? Like what are we doing next? (laughs) There's billions of articles out there about CFOs and CAOs really having these initiatives to either cut costs with technology or just cut costs in general, right? And Mm -hmm. we know that a lot of the answer is technology. And so a lot of my clients right now are struggling with how do you balance your day-to-day job, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Find those and also go find those technologies that might help solve a problem. And then finally, how do you get the skills to not only sell this internally to get buy-in, but then also make sure it's effective, right? Like, it's not like you can just go and buy the product and be like, all right, like, great. Now it's implemented and (laughs) just go make it work. Right. I mean, maybe you have a team, maybe you don't, but if you have a team, you have, you're responsible then to go make sure that they're trained and they're onboarded and they're actually using the system and that you can provide the outputs that you said you could to the CFO or CAO, whoever. So I think it's just about like that technology integration is really top of mind and a big hurdle for a lot of my clients right now, just because they're still bogged down with the day-to-day stuff. Yeah. And it's hard to sort of balance, like, how do you keep the day-to-day going, right? Like, how do you keep the lights on, but still be able to make these improvements and make them effective to your point? And so it's really interesting to see 
how different teams struggle with that. And I think it depends on a few things. One, what, what kind of budget they have available to do that. Can they hire some other or external resources to help them through that time? Maybe it's somebody like yourself. Then also, what is the cost of doing that? And does a company have the mindset to say, well, we're going to spend a little more now to make sure that this implementation is done well, done correctly, get it up and running and know that over, you know, say the next three years, it's going to pay for itself in the long term. But knowing that that's really what you're setting up for versus what does it do to my my balance sheet and my P&L today? And, and can I handle that? And, and what does that look like from a strategic point of view based on what the company is looking to do? So it's, it's just an interesting balance that I see accounting teams struggle with and, and figuring out how to do that. I'm curious, how have you seen what your clients are are dealing with and thinking about? How did that change over, say, like the last three to five years or or has it? Oh, it absolutely has. <laughs> I look back and I'm like, man, this has been a crazy whirlwind after <laughs> 606 came out specifically, right? So I was getting a ton of, you know, outreach for like, you know, direct positions like corporate revenue accountant or something like that, because a lot of Mm -hmm. companies were like, oh man, we have to implement this. And I worked at a company that was like, not really SaaS, but we tried to be SaaS. So we got really (laughs) creative. So like I had a really good background in being able to kind of like work it. Over time, what's been interesting is everybody was like crazy about implementing 606, right? And that Mm -hmm. was just about like maybe having a revenue policy or being able to go through an audit, right? Like, do we have the right reports? Do we have the right disclosures? There were various levels of what people needed help with regarding 606. And mm-hmm. because of the gradual rollout of that, as you know, right, like public company versus private company, that work continued for years. And it's still sort of continuing. Like I was on a call the other day and somebody said, yeah, well, we didn't really implement 606 that great. So we're revisiting. I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is still out there happening, but it's been interesting to see how, you know, 606 was such a hot topic for a really long time. Now it's merging into like, how do you automate 606? And I think the additional point to that is how do you automate and structure your team to support Mm. all of that in a strategic way to go forward, right? Because a lot of the times we as accountants are just like people in general, it's like, all right, let's just throw a body at the problem. Let's just like deal with it, put headcount. That's how we're going to handle it. But now as we're challenging people to actually use technology, I think the projects are more becoming like personnel based as well as technology based. So I'm not getting projects that are strictly like just come implement this. It's come implement this and help me understand how my team's going to be structured as we move forward. I love that that has sort of made its way in. I feel like it's something that has inherently been a challenge, like you said, ever since 606. So I actually deal with a number of clients who did like sort of the adoption of 606 with like brute force remorse. And I kind of laughed at it the first time I heard that. Now it's been years, but it's so true. I think it's a natural tendency to just throw bodies at a problem, not because it's the the wrong thing to do, but it it feels easiest at the time because it requires the least amount of change, 
But what it also does is oftentimes means that there is a lot more associated cost and risk that goes along with it, as you know. So I think there's something to figuring out, you know, ERPs and and maybe how how did those companies that maybe had been relying on their ERPs previously, how are they kind of thinking about it now? And, you know, you kind of joke that the the trying to be a SaaS company, I, I don't think that is anything that is out of the ordinary for that time period. I think there were a lot of tech companies that were going through it. I know I was at one trying to still fight their way through that 605 versus 606 world. And what does that mean? And how long, like how far can I push those boundaries? And what does that mean for my overall business? But now since then, we've we've gotten into such complex go-to-market strategies and that's even evolving you know even recently consumption always keeps coming up and so businesses are trying to figure out how they're going to do that but i think the fact that there are companies thinking about how they structure their teams as well is really interesting because so often we just jump to the technology piece but it's just as if not more important to make sure that the change management piece of that and that everything you do with your existing team is thought of as part of that whole transformation with technology. Super, super interesting. So curious, like from a technology perspective and, and thinking about like what an ERP does, curious if you see much around like maybe customization of ERPs and figuring out what to do with the teams or or maybe you know, thinking about other options around that. So maybe we can walk through some of those. But first and foremost, if we think of like those ERP modules that may offer some bit of revenue recognition today, like I think of like a NetSuite arm, for example, is very common, especially in technology companies. So I'm sure you have a great deal of experience around that. Yeah, NetSuite is definitely my wheelhouse. (laughs) Honestly, I think it's the only system I've been working in since I've been consulting when it comes to like rev, like, I mean, ERPs. Like I don't typically work in anything bigger. Mm -hmm. Again, company size matters there, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So that makes a lot of sense. Why? But yeah, the ERP conversation is super interesting because what I've seen with NetSuite, like I use NetSuite Arm when it first like first came out and I help, helped implement it at a few different places. It's not a bad tool by any means. And what I've also, I don't know their pricing structure or anything, so don't hold me to this, but I feel mm-hmm. like it seemed like at least with some of the implementations I did um, or helped with that it was sort of thrown in. So like their ARM advanced revenue module, it was almost like it was thrown in as part of like their overall ERP purchase. So again, remember, these are small companies I'm talking about that are going from like, let's say a QuickBooks to a bigger ERP, which is NetSuite. And NetSuite does amazing things on the revenue side too, but more so on the GL side. And so, you know, clients going to that, a lot of times it's like, okay, do I need this revenue module? And my perspective is, if they're going to throw it in, sure, why not? Throw it in. Like maybe you'll maybe you'll have a need for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like whatever. But then it becomes a conversation of do you want to use it and is it worthwhile? Mm-hmm. And I think what becomes very evident during those conversations is the comfort level of the person being the champion of the implementation. <laughs> mhm. 
because I've had two different implementations. One that's person's very tech savvy, really into like learning systems and doing different things and ways that it can work. Right. And Mm -hmm. so they've easily found ways for NetSuite to work for their situation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's probably some customization that they've done, but nothing too crazy again, because it's more of an accountant that has some technical expertise or passions that they actually can do some of those things that aren't crazy out of the box. On the other hand, I have, you know, done an implementation where the person was not technical on the like system side, very Mm -hmm. accounting technical, but didn't find an interest in understanding all the ins and outs of the system and how it worked. And so it's, not necessarily being utilized the way it could be and they didn't do any customizations and it's just there. So, and they do their revenue in other ways. Right. So it's, I think it's just like a really, it depends answer on the ERP system when it comes to customizations, like you can get really complex. I know that some bigger, like as you get bigger and companies that are outside of SaaS that try to use NetSuite, arm, you do have to get pretty customized. Mm. And I will say that in my experience, there's not a ton of NetSuite arm (laughs) revenue Mm. implementation people. So when I say that, I mean, people that have the knowledge of how the system works and how revenue policies and best practices should be implemented. There's not a big market out there. And so I feel like it becomes super challenging to implement NetSuite arms successfully. Whereas like, even if you take like, obviously Salesforce doesn't do revenue, but Salesforce became very adoptable because it was so easy for somebody to pick up and implement where NetSuite, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's not the case. It's really interesting. And I think there's something to be said for having that revenue expertise involved in your implementation, certainly something that I know had helped me in the past when I went through revenue automation projects was having somebody that had the knowledge both of the system I was implementing, but also of revenue recognition because they could take a step back, ask the right questions around why we were doing something, challenge us on whether that was the right thing to do. Or did it, or could it be done, or did it need to be that way? Could it be done differently? And they had those best practices, but understood the use cases well enough to have those conversations to set us up for success long term. So it wasn't like just the one thing that I do see sometimes is, well, we we do X today manually to recognize our revenue. So I want to automate X and I'm going to do it exactly this way instead of, well, I do X today because I don't have automation. If I had automation, maybe if I did it this way, why? Maybe that would be a better way to do it that gives me more agility long term. So it's really interesting, though, to have somebody, some expertise there to sort of be able to help make those decisions in the design process for long-term success. So I think there's something else too, when I think about ERPs and like the customizations that that we you alluded to a little bit is you can pretty much make any system do anything, but at what cost? <laughs> and so I always 
love to go down that customization route only because I've literally customized stuff to the point where I it worked me out of that system at some point. Just a personal anecdote and don't want to name names or, or companies where I was, but it definitely, it, it solves for your immediate use case. It definitely gives you a point to continue on, keep those lights on, keep the day-to-day going. But then as soon as there's those other changes, you need somebody who can go back and tweak that initial customization code. And so that requires ongoing costs as well that I didn't take into consideration. Curious, have you seen maybe some of your clients get into that position or maybe they're even thinking about something they can do and, and you know, considering the, the the differences that they're maybe faced with if they customize or not. Have you run into any of that before? Absolutely. I I don't want to say specifically that my client, one of my clients brought on like a business systems person for revenue reasons. <laughs> but I like to say that it was a pretty big part of why they brought somebody on. So yeah, like what I'm seeing a lot is this, it's not a new role, right? But like at my companies uh, up until probably like the last year, Mm -hmm. I've been seeing finance organizations hiring like a business systems analyst or somebody that's basically like would historically sit on the IT side and the IT budget is now actually like within finance and is responsible only for those finance systems, right? And I'm sure like larger companies have this as you grow. And I've seen that as like some larger businesses that have been acquired, but it's interesting because like these early stage businesses, it seems crazy that you have a whole headcount just dedicated to like managing your finance systems, right? And a lot mm-hmm. of it comes down to revenue at the end yeah. of the day, right? And those customizations and to your point, it's like, okay, so now I have a full-time headcount. That person, yeah, they're probably well-versed in NetSuite, but they're, it's not like they're coming in knowing every in and out of NetSuite and how to code and do all of that and like connect systems and integrations and all of the fun stuff, right? Like so many startups have stuff that they've already built and it's like, let's just integrate. They want to integrate. And so then you need somebody that can be technical enough to do that. Right. Um, So then you get, you know, if you have this headcount that I'm talking about, maybe that person doesn't have all of the expertise. So does that mean then you have to send them to go learn it? Do you Mm -hmm. go hire still a third party consultant to come do that one task that this person can't do? Right. It just like explodes. It's so true. There's that like ongoing management. It's like, it's almost like revisiting the implementation over and over again when you customize because, or customize too heavily, I should say, because then you're always having to sort of upkeep that, that system because each time you change or you're, you know, maybe the product team is introducing a new offering, or maybe you want to bundle some things and figure out if there's a new go-to-market strategy there. But every time you do one of those things, it does have an impact. And that impact needs to be, you know, taken into consideration or tweaked along the way to get the RevRec right. Thinking about like some other options, there's always Excel, right? Like, and I always joke it's Excel, like ex dot hell. But, you know, curious, there's probably a lot of folks that you work with and a lot of clients that are using Excel to get by, you know, from, from their ERP today. Also, 
when I think about some even better options that offer a lot less risk is revenue subledgers. And, you know, wanted to dive into that a little bit with you around your take on those, if your clients are looking into those, and, and even why they exist in the first place. Yeah. Revenue subledgers. I feel like that's like, it's like an accounting, like 101 term or something, right? Like, <laughs> do we actually use that in the day to day? I've had people say to me, like, hey, what, what do you mean by a revenue subledger? Like, great point. <laughs> like, what, what do you mean? Like, it's a subledger for revenue. <laughs> but basically, I mean, yeah, we all use revenue subledgers. It's just we don't really refer to them as a subledger, I guess. Mm-hmm. So when I think of my past managing a revenue subledger, like that was historically <laughs> Excel, right? Like mm-hmm. that's where the revenue subledger is. And what that means to me, like revenue subledger by definition is essentially a place where you're capturing all your transactions related to revenue, right? Like all the ins and outs, like debits and credits, all of the fun accounting stuff. And that's why I say like accounting 101, because that's essentially what the subledger is capturing, all of that stuff. The only way to do that that I found successfully to do that was through Excel, because it's a way that you can I guess, manipulate data, right? Like we hate that word in accounting, but that's the matter (laughs) of fact. Like it's a manipulation of the data so that I can get the debits and credits and everything that I need um, to flow through to a journal entry that I then put into my ERP or whatever. But that's also evolved now. There are a lot of different things out there that can help you automate that, right? Like we were talking about NetSuite Arm. NetSuite Arm can be like sort of a revenue subledger. I haven't seen anybody in my experience use it successfully as a revenue subledger totally because of some of the limitations, customizations, all that stuff. But in my past, one good process, I think, I mean, that's me saying it, so I'm biased, but I think I set up something where we went from a revenue workbook that was Excel Mm -hmm. and then we purchased RevPro, which obviously is now Zora Revenue, but we purchased RevPro back in the day and implemented that to basically take over the workbook. And so that workbook went away and we were operating in RevPro, which I think they're probably still operating in today. Not really sure. (laughs) But that took over all of that transactional data where we could play with stuff and get to a place where we would say, okay, this is what we think the debits and credits are. This is how we're dealing with revenue. And then this is what we want to push to the ERP. So gives you that place where, like you had said, like Excel felt easiest at the time because you could, and we'll use the word all accountants hate, manipulate the data. But really what it is, is we know that there are adjustments that need to be made, right? Like at the end of the day, there need to be adjustments. Sometimes there's never going to be a situation where 100% of the transactions, 100% of the time don't require any kind of adjustment. And so finding a way for all of those transactions to be captured in the revenue subledger, to your point, but provide enough flexibility with an audit trail to be able to, you know, explain what those adjustments were, be able to successfully and more easily get through an audit because as we know, you know, Excel audits are long and painful and expensive. (laughs) And so trying to break through that. And so I think some of what we're now thinking of as a revenue subledger or these point solutions, you know, those are providing a way to be able to 
successfully track all of the transactions in an out-of-the-box solution, but allow flexibility when need be to make sure that everything is going to be captured fully and, and reconciled before sending it to the GL. But curious if you can speak to maybe some of the misconceptions or maybe there's some education gaps around these point solution revenue subledgers and and something like, you know, have, having gone through the Rev Pro now Zora Revenue implementation, but curious if you can speak to some of the misconceptions around those type of tools that may be seen as, you know, something that is more challenging or maybe not something that somebody wants to consider as strongly as like an ERP plus Excel or something. Yeah, I would say that the biggest thing that I see is people like the pushback on going with the point solution is we are impatient as accountants in general. And so when we hear, okay, we're only going to be able to handle like 80% of the use cases for now, and the other stuff is going to have to still be handled in Excel or whatever, people immediately are like, oh, well, whatever, I'm already using Excel. I might as well just use the system I already have in Excel, right? And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, like, let's just slow our roll here, people. (laughs) (laughs) And I get it, right? Like we have a ton of pressure to get stuff done. And so it is really easy to be like, that's just not going to work for me. I need to move on. Mm -hmm. But if we really take a step back, the solution does work. It's just a matter of like being patient that it's going to take a little bit of time to implement it. And maybe going through the implementation, maybe that 80% actually turns into 90% because to your point, you're working with people that understand best, the best use case options available, basically, whether within the certain point solution, or maybe they have another solution that's like, oh no, just use your ERP for this or use something else for it, right? When you have a revenue expert helping you through a point solution implementation, they're going to give you recommendations, probably even outside of that implementation, right? Like because yeah. they they are revenue accountants a lot of times. And so they understand policies and procedures that can be done slightly differently and accomplish the same goal. It's so true. You know, so I think we, so if we think about the options, right, there's inside an ERP, maybe it's like, like we said, like that NetSuite arm with the module, for example, or a dedicated revenue subledger or that point solution that we're talking about. You know, there is a third choice if it's build your own, but very unusual these days. You know, I think if we're talking customizations, building your own is basically just building one big, gigantic, customization. And so probably doesn't make a lot of sense long-term given the cost to build internally and then support that long-term. But if we think of the first two options being like inside your ERP or that dedicated point solution, what advice would you give to our audience on how to think about choosing between the two options? Like, are there different scenarios where an ERP might be a great fit? And then maybe scenarios where the ERP isn't a great choice and maybe something like a point solution makes more sense. Yeah. You know, I don't think we've ever talked about this. So I'm really curious what your thoughts are too, but I would say it's just a matter of like how complex your revenue is. That's, (laughs) I mean, the ERP can handle anything that's like pretty straightforward rev rec, right? Mm -hmm. So like, If you don't anticipate a ton of complexity coming through, right? Like this is where you have to understand the company strategy too, Mm -hmm. right? When you're buying 
and deciding something like this. So it depends on what are your use cases today and how complex they are and where do you expect the business to go, right? You mentioned consumption. A lot of companies are looking at that. You need to go as a revenue accountant or whoever, whoever you are buying this potential point solution or not and understand where are you going as a company? Are you going somewhere that's gonna make your RevRec potentially more complex? You don't need to go solve for it right now, but just consider it when you're implementing or deciding on a tool because that tool is going to ultimately be what you use for this future strategy that the business may or may not implement, right? And so it just comes down to how complex your use cases are. And the one other thing I would say is how much time do you have to commit to like managing the technology, right? If you go with a point solution, everything is essentially going to be within there. You're going to have revenue people that help you implement it. It should be pretty straightforward once you have it up and running with the ERP you're going to need to be a little bit more technical. So consider that if you do decide to go with that solution, like what that means, again, long-term, does that mean you're going to have to hire more people? Are you going to feel comfortable kind of taking on some of the technical stuff and maybe working with the third party? Again, what does that cost, right? So it's like, think, think ahead to the future of what your use cases are, but also right now, it's pretty important to understand what you need. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with it definitely comes down to complexity, but I think you're spot on with understanding your own company's strategy. Every company obviously wants to grow their revenue or, you know, cut their costs. It's sort of, especially in the world we live in right now, it's how do we do more with less? And so I think about that and thinking outside of just what does my individual team need to accomplish, but also what is the company looking to accomplish so that that team can help support it? So if there are things like different go-to-market strategies that are being considered, again, you don't have to be in that, you know, like actually executing that strategy, but even thinking about it and being able to iterate on something like that, a lot of times go-to-market strategies aren't necessarily all that successful right out of the gate, but then you want to iterate on that and maybe tweak a couple of things. And so thinking about having a system that ultimately allows the business more agility to figure those things out, like be able to pull some of those levers and make sure that whatever that new offering is or how they're going to grow is actually successful. So just trying to figure out how it fits in there. So I think I completely agree from that standpoint. You know, I'm curious if there's an accounting team that you're working with looking to automate, you know, how do you see teams getting buy-in from their CFO for this? Like, do you have any advice around that? I think a lot of times what I'm seeing is it's almost a negotiation. Mm -hmm. So you have to sort of learn to be a salesperson, I guess. (laughs) So my advice is go work with your salespeople to learn how to sell. Talking to the CFO from, again, this is like a sales thing, discovery point of view, understanding from the CFO what they care about, what are their initiatives, they have, you know, whatever, they have goals and OKRs and whatever you want to call them, KPIs that they have to achieve. And so if you can align this to something that they're doing, then it's like a win-win. 
I've had one client that basically went and negotiated with their CFO and said, okay, if you let me buy this tool, I won't use that extra headcount until next year. And that was the way that they negotiated through getting the technology, right? And so that kind of goes back to our previous conversation where it's like, now it's on him to go make sure this tool works because he doesn't have headcount to to fix it. (laughs) Totally. I love that. The selling aspect of it is really, there is something important to it. And I think making it personal for the CFO really does help to close that gap for them and being able to like have those open conversations and probably taking those metrics and showing the value of if I if you let me implement this, right. then I won't need to hire this head until next year or or maybe at all, right? So I think that's really, really relevant, really important. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. Last question for you. What prevents, in your opinion, accounting teams from elevating their role within the business? I think patience, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of times we either become the no people or we become like the grumpy back office people because we have deadlines, which is totally fair and reasonable, as I said. (laughs) However, we also need to understand that like the business Mm -hmm. is the business and it's going to keep operating that way. So whatever we learned in accounting 101, like great. Yes. Let's try to think about that when we're doing our day-to-day job, but This is a business and we have to be flexible and we have to be patient. And just because somebody put something in front of you that might delay something you had going on or create a barrier for you, the goal is to work with them to solve it for the business, not to get defensive and say, oh, I can't work with you or I'm going to just go back and like do things the way I was doing it. Like there's a little bit of courage and bravery that we need to start embracing in accounting that we do know a lot. Like I read something the other day on LinkedIn that said the accountants are the storytellers of the business. And that is absolutely true. We have a lot of knowledge and we just need to be confident that we can go and tell a story, but we have to take our emotions out of it And the emotions come from the stress of our day to day. Right. So it's all like it's, again, cyclical where it's like we need to work on being patient with the business so that the business can give us what we need. Love it. So insightful and really appreciate you joining me today, Jill. It's been a true pleasure chatting with you. And I really look forward to having you back again. Thank you as always. We'll chat soon. And listeners, my DMs are always open to you. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at mdaigle. Links are in the show notes. And please stay in touch for more episodes and insights from other revenue and accounting leaders. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.